0: Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church? At hey Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. If you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and grab them and jump into John chapter 15. And I'm really excited. Um, the the band just did just an, an incredible job there, um, in just leading us into preparing our hearts really, for, for what I think we're about to talk about. And um, I feel as though um, this, this message will be one that, that begins to cause the shift for us um, when it comes to feeling like we're performance-driven Christianity. Um, that would be more towards us being able to rest in the doing aspect of Christianity rather than feeling like the doing aspect of Christianity is what we have to do in order to keep God pleased, in order to keep our uh, friends and and, um, other brothers and sisters in Christ pleased with us even uh, based on what we do as a believer. Because there's a reality is, is when you look at Christianity, yes, it is a belief system that is full of works and things that are to be accomplished by us. But there's two ways in which we can go about looking at those things that need to get done. We're either doing them out of the overflow of what God has done for us, and so we're freely doing these things, Or the other flip side is we're doing these things because we want God to be pleased with us. We want to earn God's favor rather than already having God's favor. And then therefore we do. Therefore we react. Therefore we respond to God. We respond to loving others. We respond to serving others. We respond to praying to him. We respond by abiding because he first was abiding in us and towards us and for us and in us. And so what I think is, is because that is, again, one of those tensions that we feel all the time. Am I measuring up? Am I doing good? Am I a good Christian? Am I maturing? Am I loving my friends enough? Am I loving my spouse enough? Am I loving my kids enough? Am I serving in my workplace enough? Am I being a good co-worker, a good employee, a good boss, whatever it looks like? Am I measuring up so that I'm doing more good than bad, and therefore I'm good to go. God's pleased with me. And the reality is, is that's the false lie that we buy into so often. And I'm right there with you guys. Even just going into last night, um, I was still had some more editing to do on this sermon. And leading into last night, about 11 o'clock, I'm sitting here thinking, I don't know if I'm going to quite get it edited as much as I want to. Therefore, the performance of the sermon tomorrow is not going to be as good as what I want it to be because in in order for it to be at this certain level, that's what's going to ultimately change and transform hearts of people. And so I've got to be able to deliver it at a certain amount of um, quality in order for it to be right. And the reality is that's a lie. So you're not getting the edited version today. You're getting whatever the Lord's going to do with you and your heart when you hear the message, when you hear the word. And that's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm praying for. Because I'm right there with you guys. I wrestle every single day with wanting to perform for God rather than resting in his performance that he's already done for me. That's what I struggle with every single day. And the verse that we covered two weeks ago in John 15, 2, Jesus kind of drops a bombshell of a verse where he says every branch that is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that is in me that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And what we had to work into that scripture was the fact that he says every branch that's in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So we had to get into this idea, what does it mean to be in some type of of interaction, relationship? What, what does it mean to be in some type of grouping with Jesus in which there are true branches and then there are false branches? There are true disciples and false disciples. And what it really comes down to was the difference between who's believing him to be who he truly is, which in return develops fruit in their life. And when we usually talk about fruit, we talk about what you do. How you're loving, how you're showing patience, how you're showing self-control, how you're serving. How generous are you with your resources and with your time? And so it can quickly move into every branch in me that's not bearing fruit. So everyone who's not doing the Christian thing, you should be worried that Christ is going to send you out. That there's ultimately going to be eternal damnation for you. That's a fear that could be caused in us. And then it moves into everyone who is doing the right things, therefore is in. And all of a sudden now there's the rest because we we know that we're good to go. We're bearing fruit. He's going to be pruning us. And so what we had to look at with that is what does it then mean that there's True branches and not true branches. What does it mean that there are true disciples and not true disciples? And I think the verse that we're covering today, verse 3, is the one that finally drives that stage home because it has to be set before we can move into the imperative of verse 4, which is abide in me. There's no greater or daunting command from Jesus than for him to tell us, abide in me. Everything you do should be connected to me. Every decision you make should be in me. Every thought that you have should be in me. Every action that you do should be an action that's produced out of you being in me. And so literally, there is no greater daunting task that Jesus gives to us than abiding in him. And so before we get to that weighty verse next week, we have to first see what he does to set the stage so that when we move into that weighty verse of abiding in him, basically responsibility on our part, we have to first see what he's done for us that allows us to rest and be free before we jump into what we do. And this is what he's going to be talking about as he moves in from verse 2 to verse 3. So before we jump into that, just like we've been doing, and I want to continue doing it with you. You're there, opened up in John chapter 15, um, because I want you to continue growing in your familiarity with this passage, with this chapter. We're going to read it together. We're going to read it out loud together. Last time... It was two weeks ago. It was a little quiet. I want you a little louder in here. All right, there's a few more people in here, so we can get a little bit louder. And so because I want to hear you, just like I did three weeks ago, I'm going to start out reading it with you. And then I'm going to drop out so that you're not just hearing my voice. I'm going to drop out so that we can hear everybody's voice in this. We're going to be reading John 15, 1 through Seventeen. I am reading it from uh, the ESV translation. And so if you don't have an ESV translation, there's a black Bible around you somewhere that is the same. And if you don't want to reach for that or don't see one, it'll also be on the screen. Really trying to make it easy for you guys. All right. So John chapter 15, starting in verse one. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Father, we thank you so much for having access to read your inspired word. God, my prayer is that the more that we continue to see the truth in Scripture, the more that we grow in the treasuring of these truths. Because the more we treasure, the more, the more we value these truths, the more that we will be transformed by them. And so God, we're asking for that this morning. We're asking that your Holy Spirit who's already in us, who's already working, who's already moving, who's already changing and transforming us, God, my prayer is that he would do it even more, that he would continue to strengthen our hearts, to strengthen our minds, to strengthen our faith, to strengthen our belief in who you are and what you've done and what you're continuing to do in us God, grant us the rest that we already have and the freedom that we already possess in you to be able to then live out of that as we begin to abide in you and what you're doing. God, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Looking at verses 2 through 3, because, again, you've, we've got to see the connection here. If you were to think of it as Jesus setting the foundation for what it means to abide, the foundation is similar to, like, your skeletal system. Like, it's got to be there in order for it to frame itself up. And then when it moves into abiding, that's the muscles. That's, that's the, the, the ability to actually then be able to move and do and live and function. And so we got foundation and we've got functionality. We've got bone and we've got muscle. We've got position and we've got practice. And what we're looking at today is what connects those two things together so that we're not in the tension of putting one before the other um, or, or living out of one and not the other as well. This thing is kind of like the ligaments, the tendons between bone and muscle in order for them to flow and function together. So the idea of who we are and what we do are actually the same thing. We just always combat ourselves thinking that they're different. We always combat ourselves that what I do will lead to who I become and ultimately who I I am, rather than saying that also who I am leads to what I do. Like an apple tree does not produce oranges. It produces apples because it's an apple tree. We are believers in Christ, and because we are in Christ, the fruit that produces out of us is Christ-like fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness, those things. We can't try to do those things without first being in Christ, connected to the vine, being a branch that is connected in. But what is hard for us to do is we always want to leave that behind and jump into what we do as if that's going to some way earn or keep God's favor, even though we already have God's favor. And so this is what this one verse, and it's a a really unique verse. I mean, it's probably one of the most strangest verses that are in Scripture following the verse 2 every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit so we're talking about a branch that's already fruitful that he's going to prune that it may bear more fruit so it needs work done on it right there needs to be some pruning that's, that needs to happen, some cleaning up that needs to happen, some clearing away that needs to happen. And then he jumps into verse 3 and says, but already you are clean. So what is, is this relationship between work needs to be done, but yet it's already done. You need to be pruned, yet you're already pruned. You need to be clean, yet you're already clean. And this is the ligament. This is what connects these two ideas together. And you can see it in the English, but it's kind of difficult to see it in this because it uses the two different phrases, pruning and then already being clean. And and when you can look at that, you can say, at least from an English standpoint, we can look at it and say, pruning is a type of cleaning, if you think about it. Like, is there anybody in here, green thumb type people, like you like gardening, you like cutting bushes, this and that, or we got one, maybe two, all right, three, all right, got some more coming in here, group think there, good job, people, Um, but anyways, um, I'm a landscaper, I like lawn care, I I like going in and beautifying bushes, and the reality is, is when I go in and look at, uh, usually I go into someone who's basically let it go for a while, and I have to go in and I have to envision what do I want this to look like by the time that I get done with it. And so I'm already looking at bushes that are out of whack, bushes that like flowers that are out of whack, mulch that is, that is washed away, whatnot. And I'm envisioning what it already is because it's already there. There's bushes that are already there. They just need to be cut back. They need to be cleared away. They need to be cleaned up. And this is what's happening with us in this picture is there's a pruning that's going on that's already revealing who we already are. Like we're already, if we are believers in Christ... And we've talked about that foundation in the past, and I don't have the time to go into it. But if we are believers in Christ, that means we are branches that are already connected to the vine. There's just still some clearing away that needs to happen. There's still some pruning, some cleaning that needs to happen. That the Father, that the vine dresser is part of his role, is coming into our lives and continuing to chip away. And to edge at it, and to to cut, and to, to literally like a doctor going in to cut you, to wound you in order to ultimately heal you. This is what the vine dresser is doing for us as branches. But he's doing it because positionally, he says in verse three, we're already clean. We're already good to go. That much we can see in the English that pruning and cleaning are in some ways together. But to confirm it in the Greek, the word of prune in verse two is the same as the word to clean. Exact same words, katharo. Katharo, and then when he moves into verse three, the word for clean there, already you are clean, is a similar word called katharos. So he's saying that ultimately you are clean or I need to clean you, but you are already clean. I need to prune you, but you are already pruned. That's the way that it's reading in the original text, in the original Greek. And so what we have to see is like, how can you clean something that's already clean? Because that's the question we have here. How can you prune something if it's already pruned? How can you work on something that's already been worked on? And Jesus says it this way in John chapter 13, picking up in verse 8. Jesus uses these exact words, you are clean, when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, Peter objects. And Peter literally says, you shall never wash my feet. And that's a, that's a, a noble statement of Peter, like to telling Jesus, the, the Son of God, you should not wash my feet. Please don't do that. Like You're, you're above this, Jesus. It's a noble thing for, G, for Peter to say that. But then Jesus follows it up with, if I do not wash your feet, then you have no share with me. Now that's stunning. Basically, what he's saying there is, there's no union between me and you, Peter, if you object to my cleansing of your feet. Now, follow this in the mindset of of John 15 here. Jesus then responds and says to him, the one who has bathed does not need to be washed except for his feet because he's completely clean and you are clean. So we have this little story here of Jesus going to Peter to continue to cleanse him from just dirt and grime. Like if if you are familiar with anything in the Middle East, like they don't have roads like what we have. They don't have sidewalks like what we have. Like it's, and especially in this first century, this is nothing but dirt caked roads. And so anywhere and everywhere that they walked, although they might be clean from head to to, um, calves, um, from there down, they're just caked in dirt. And so constantly, like daily, this was kind of a ritual of theirs to wash one another's feet, to serve one another by providing a basic need that they had. And so Peter's saying, well, if washing my feet brings you and me into union, then you need to wash my whole body. And what Jesus is responding to him is, I don't need to wash your whole body because you're already clean. You're already in union with me. I just need to ongoingly clean you. I need to keep doing these smaller things that are are specific needs to be cleaned because already you are clean. And what he's ultimately saying there is the same thing with the language of, of the vine and the branches that you're already in me. You're already a branch that is connected to the vine. I'm just having to come in and continue to etch away parts of your life that are keeping you from being able to bear fruit. Because think about it this way if you've got Jesus as the vine, which means all, or all nutrients, all, all things that we need to bear fruit are being channeled from Jesus to us as branches. If there are things in our life that are robbing those nutrients from being able to bear the fruit that God wants us to bear, then he's got to begin cutting those things away. He's got to begin sacrificing those things in our lives, whatever that looks like. And so what that looks like for us is there's going to be conviction that comes into our life. There's going to be things, there's going to be other people that God puts into our life to help us see the things that need to be cut out so that the nutrients are going to produce the fruit that ultimately God wants to be produced. So there's an ongoing cleaning that's happening to us, even though we're already completely clean in Him your acceptance of being washed and pruned is the sign that you're already washed and pruned because what does he say to Peter when Peter says don't wash my feet what he's saying there is that Peter if I don't wash your feet you have no union with me if you don't let me do this for you you have no union with me that goes to the fruitless branches the fruitless branches that are not ultimately connected and are letting the nutrients from Jesus flow to them have no union with the branch or with the vine. They have no, they have no reason to be there because they're not in, they're not ultimately connected to Jesus. And this is why we have that warning is if we posture ourselves as God, I don't want your ministry to me. I don't want your conviction. I don't want your spurring me on. I don't want your um, uh, your love and your affection. I don't want the desire that you plant within me to have an affection for you. I don't want those things. Then what we're revealing is the fact that we're actually not in Him. We don't have a relationship with Him. We're not in Jesus. We're not connected to the vine. And so we need to constantly think about that. And in the conversations that we have with other people, when they posture themselves as, I don't want anything that would create fruit, that would be God-honoring, that would be Christ-like fruit. When I, if, I, if I am separating myself from those things and not welcoming them into my life, then that's revealing that I'm ultimately not a Christian. I'm not a believer. If I'm not willing to give up those things that he's pruning off of me, it's revealing that I'm not ultimately connected to him. I'm not ultimately in the vine. Because when you're ultimately connected and you've tasted of those nutrients that are coming to you, when you've tasted of the gift of Christ in you, nothing else compares. There's nothing in the rest of the world that could offer us and say, I would actually rather be connected to that than this. And so that's something that we need to think about even within ourselves. Another way he says it is John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So that's an already, he who hears my word and believes has already passed from death to life. Which means that as we move forward, no judgment. No judgment. When there's no judgment towards you, what does that produce within you? Like if you were to have a friendship with someone who never is going to criticize you in a judging way, how are you going to respond to that person? How often can we hang out? (laughs) Because I want to be around you. I want to be hanging out with you. And I'm not saying that there's never constructive critique. I'm not saying that there's never speaking in and rebuke healthy conviction. But I'm saying there's no judgment in the sense of telling them that they're worthless, that they don't measure up, that they're ultimately sinners. When we've already passed from death to life, and by believing in him, we've received eternal life once and for all. By receiving that and by being in and being connected, it frees us. To be able to be in relationship with God, abide in him, abide in Christ, abide in anything and everything that comes along with that based on our responsibilities, we're able to walk through that never feeling as though God is condemning us. Because he's not. Judgment's gone. You've already passed through. The judgment that I was going to pour out on you because of your sin, I already put on Jesus on the cross. And because I did that, and he paid for it once and for all for your past, your present, and your future, because he covered all of it. When you enter into a relationship with me, when you connect to the vine, you're never going to receive judgment from the Father. It's already happened. So that frees us to then begin looking at the abide in me as a welcoming invitation to say from the Father, come in and enjoy all that I have. Come in and live life to the fullest because you have all access. Nothing is going to be robbed from you. Nothing is going to be um, uh, withheld from you. You get to have all access to everything that is in me come on in if we don't see that if we don't see that we're all clean we'll never go to abiding because if we don't if we don't see that we're already clean and we view ourselves that there's just still a lot of work to be done then going into a holy god who's perfect we then begin thinking well i've got all my imperfections I can't go in when I still got darkness. I can't go in when I still got sin. I can't go in when he hates those things. He abhors those things. So rather than running to God, I'm going to run from him if I don't understand that I'm already clean. That's why this verse, verse 3, has to be in there before he ever jumps into, abide in me and I will abide in you do these things, pray, study, read, share the gospel, like love, serve, do all these things, those things have to flow out of us already understanding that those things are already in us. And they're already complete within us because we have all access to them because we have Christ in us. This is the great paradigm of the already not yet and and here's the way I want to kind of frame this up. I, I used to think, when I was a younger believer, I used to think that the gospel alone was just meant for salvation. It was just meant for conversion only. And then you would, like, it's kind of the milk of of Christianity. And then from there, you then move on to kind of the meats of christianity the theological distinctives of christianity the 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 the, the bigger picture things of christianity that then begin to mature you but the gospel's what got you in i used to think that i used to believe that and it's wrong the gospel yes is the power of god unto salvation but it is not just the power of god unto conversion only It's the power of God unto conversion, which is your justification, which brings you into the already. Like when you're justified, you're seen as past, present, and future sins are no more, and you're seen as God sees Christ. You're seen and viewed by Him as being 100% righteous. You're a vine, you're a branch connected to the vine. You're in, you're justified. And then the gospel begins moving you to sanctification. It begins moving you to the pruning stage. It begins moving you to becoming what you already are. It begins moving you to practicing who you are positionally. It begins moving the muscles to be able to follow in line with the framework of the bone and the skeletal system begin moving you to function based on what your foundation is. The gospel does that. The reason why the gospel does that is because the gospel is not just the death of Christ on a cross. It's the perfect life that he lived before he died on the cross. And so think about it in terms of this. Everything Jesus did in his life was to earn for you. Everything. Every thought that he had that was right was to earn for you the position with God that every thought you have is right. When God sees me, he sees me as though every thought that I have is righteous thought. He sees me as though every action that I do is righteous action because every action Jesus did is righteous action. So everything in his 33 years of life is what they call imputed to us. It's given to us. And we then get to be free to begin maturing in it, to begin walking in it. The the best way that I, I, the illustration that I use for this is a pot of soup. How many of you like soup? A good stew. All right. Some of you, if you haven't, you need to eat some. Okay. But just think about a pot of soup. Like you have, you throw in all kinds of ingredients, right? Who's going to eat it right when you throw in all the ingredients? nobody why because it needs to fester a little bit like it needs to it needs to stew a little bit it needs to take some time and have all those ingredients be stirred up in one another so that it begins to actually create the aroma of what you want of what's actually pleasing to partake of the same thing is with us as christians is when we become a believer in christ christ becomes in us All of the fruit that is in Christ, all of the blessings that are in Christ, all of the identity that is in Christ is deposited in us. So my ability to now love perfectly, to be able to be generous, to be able to have the resources, to be able to counsel people and have the knowledge to be able to do that, like all the things that Jesus did for those who he came to love and to seek and to save and to serve, all of those things are in you and me. I think my battery might have died. No, nope, I'm, I'm still on. It's on you guys. All right, so anyways, I'll just keep talking a little louder. Um, it's all there. So like our ability to, to live the Christian life we already possess. I used to believe, I used to think that it was something I had to go get. If I was not a patient person, I needed to go to a patient seminar. Like if I'm not a generous person, I need to go live and and, and be with some people who are generous in order to, to try to get something from them to make me a more generous person. That's what I used to think Christianity was, but it's not. All it is is discipling you to understand who you are. It's training you to understand who you are. And so literally, like, us as Christians, J.I. Packer puts it this way. Every single time a Christian sins, he's temporarily suffering from an identity crisis. Because you're acting like who you are not. You're doing something based on who you're not. And so we're suffering from an identity crisis. Like, when I love like a Christ-like love, I'm acting out who I am. But when envy sneaks into that, or when resentment sneaks into that, I'm no longer loving like I am, or who I really am. I'm now operating out of flesh. I'm now operating out of worldly desires that in that sanctification process haven't completely been removed yet. That doesn't get removed until glory. So this sanctification process, this this middle ground is the gospel constantly being preached to us every single day, telling us, proclaiming to us, this is who you are. Grow in it. This is why the Bible 59 times talks about one another, love one another, encourage one another, serve one another, spur one another on to love and good deeds. Know what that means? Like, like, my in in order for my soup to be stirred, I need you to stir it. I need you to remind me who I am in Christ. I need to remind you who you are in Christ. Guys, that's what the church is about. What does it mean to make disciples? It means to tell people who they are. It doesn't mean try to try to, to, to create behavioral modification. It's not trying to manage other people's morality. That's not what church is about. Like I said, I, I like grass, mowing grass. <laughs> not that kind of grass. <laughs> I like mowing grass, all right? And if, you're, if you were to see my yard, it's not going to be the, the most perfect yard that's out there. There's weeds, all right? Every single time that I mow it, it mows over weeds as well, grass and weeds. And it looks good for a couple of days. But what tends to outgrow grass faster? Weeds do. They're the ones that creep up and come up. And so what we're after as a church is not mowing down your bad behaviors. We're not trying to modify the things in your life that's not good. I can't manage that. I don't want to manage that. I don't want to manage how often or or what's the kind of scale of how much good you do versus bad you do. That's not what our job is. And that's not what our roles are for one another. Our roles are to simply look at who Jesus is. Because the more that we see who he is and understand who he is, I'm able to then understand better who is in you and how then you are supposed to respond and act. And so if we're acting out in a way that is not Christ-like, I'm able to come in and say, hey, man, this is, you seem off a little bit. You, you seem like, you're, you're, like something's testing you. You seem like you're, you're not as patient as you usually are because of who you are in Christ. You're suffering from an identity crisis. And so we're not trying to be sin police, but rather we're trying to come in and say, man, this is what's inside of you. This is what's already there. And we just want to stir that pot. We want to we get those ingredients moving because as they're moving into your thoughts and as they're moving into your affections and as they're moving into um, your actions, we see you transforming into who Christ is. That's what verse three is all about. We can't move into what we are to do without seeing who we already are because that leads us into what we do. Jerry Bridges, an author and pastor, says, he puts it two ways, this way, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day because it reminds us who we are. It reminds us who we are. And he says when it comes to sanctification, he also puts it this way, When we think about justification, when we think about salvation, we think about it in terms of a ship. And we're trying to, like, navigate this ship with all of our works. We're trying to earn this thing to get it across the water. He says, in order for us to be justified, we have to throw all of our works overboard and let God ultimately steer the ship. God saves us. He says, but then what we, what we fight every single day in our sanctification is trying to drag those works back on board in order for us to then keep God's favor. In order for us to then keep God's pleasure and pursuit over us. And that's just not the reality, guys. Like, if works don't save you, works don't sustain you. The gospel is the only thing that sustains us. That's why we have to preach it to ourselves every single day. The minute, the second that I jump into thinking that I've got to do this out of my own strength, I forget the gospel and I leave it behind. And I then immediately move into the feeling, that gnawing in in my soul of something's wrong, something's off. Something's not right must be between me and God, and so God's probably upset with me, so I'm not going to talk to him about it. I'm going to go talk to so-and-so over here about it because they're probably going through the same thing. And if they're right, they'll tell me, hey, you're trusting in yourself, you're not trusting in the gospel, you're not trusting in what God's already done for you. Man, God's not upset with you. God's not frustrated with you. Why are you coming to me? Run to him. That's what we are to do with one another. We are to constantly remind each other the fact that we're already clean even though we're being cleaned. That we're already pruned even though we're being pruned. I love what Paul says in Galatians 3.3. three. almost titled the sermon this. He starts off with, Are you so foolish? I thought that would have been a great title, but having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That's foolish lot. If you've begun by the Spirit of God, if you've been born by the Spirit of God, why now are you trying to perfect yourself by living out the flesh? He's basically like, in, in the Greek, he's saying that's stupid. That's stupid. If we've begun by the Spirit, we're perfected by the Spirit. And we're ultimately perfected in glory by the same Spirit. This is what the entire New Testament is about. And I know every single one of us in this room, I know that we struggle with this. I know that we struggle with just needing to pull myself up from my bootstraps, needing to tighten my tie a little tighter, needing to clean myself up a little bit more, needing to pray a little more, needing to read a little more, needing to study a little more, needing to love a little more. We all feel that tension of I've got to do this to perform for God. But the difference is, is if you're doing it thinking that that produces pleasure from him, then it's wrong. And what John's reminding us here is that he is already infinitely pleased with you. Before you ever even lift a finger, lift a thought. Before you do anything, he is infinitely pleased with you. Nothing you can do to make him love you more. Nothing you can do to make him love you less. As as Josh was sharing in the confession, what can separate us from the love of him? Nothing. And the beauty of that is is we're going to fail. I can talk about this message, can share this message, and tomorrow some of you are going to jump straight into how can I work my way to continue maturing myself? And the beauty is, even in that, he still infinitely loves you and is pleased with you. He wants to prune that. He wants to cut that back a little bit. But he still infinitely loves you and is pursuing you and is passionately delighting over you. That's the God we serve. That's the God that frees us up To being able to next week walk into what it means to abide in him. Everything we need is in the gospel. That frees us to give all that we have without expecting anything in return. Everything is already there. We just grow in it. We have the freedom to grow in it. We have the freedom to grow in it at different paces. Different speeds. Two steps forward, one step back. One step forward, two steps back. That's sanctification. Messy. And that entire time, not once, does he look at you with disappointment. Not once. If you feel that, that's not coming from him. That's coming from you. If you feel that, it's coming from the enemy. Satan literally can be translated as an accuser. It's just him telling you. You're an accused like you're, you're not a child of God. You're not in good standing with him. You're not positionally in righteousness with him. That's what Satan's saying. Satan reminds us who we are in our flesh. God reminds us who we are in Christ. Preach that to yourself every single day. Let's pray. God, we love you simply because you first loved us. God, we, we have the ability to rest in you because you've created that opportunity for us. God, thank you so much for the ministry of the vine dresser, the fact that you tend to the vine and that you tend to the branches and that you cut away the things in our life that rob us of your joy that rob us of maturing in you that rob us of, of being able to see just your glory and your praise and your worth and your value God if, if, if nothing else please just let us continue to see you every day single day and the reason why we can see you, the reason why we can see your glory, the reason why we can see your holiness and in that place not immediately die is because Jesus also earned that right for us Jesus lived the perfect life and earned righteousness for us he died a death that we deserved earning that for us as well And he rose from the grave, earning for us new life. A life that can be walked in in perfect righteousness. And so God, thank you for making us clean. And thank you for continuing to clean us. We love you, Lord. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church? At